a Quackcast Revenant Edition. This is number 224. The Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Wanted in 14 counties of this state, the condemned is found guilty of the crimes of murder, armed robbery of citizens, state banks, and post offices, the theft of sacred objects, arson in a state prison, perjury, bigamy, deserting his wife and children, inciting prostitution, kidnapping, extortion, receiving stolen goods, selling stolen goods, passing counterfeit money, and contrary to the laws of the state, the condemned is guilty of using marked cards and loaded dice. Therefore, according to the powers vested in us, we sentence the accused here before us, Tuco Benedito Pacifico Juan Maria Romeres, otherwise known as the Rat, and any other alias he might have, to hang by the neck until dead. May God have mercy on his soul. Proceed. Call in the chiropractor. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Kind of. I presume that those who go into health care do so in part for semi-altruistic reasons. Whether practicing in reality-based or fiction-based medical systems, most practitioners want to do right by people. No one, or almost no one, there are always the occasional psycho outliers, wants to harm their patients. And it is hard for practitioners to admit that they harmed people in the attempt to make them better. I do not find it surprising that doctors in general do not like to recognize that their interventions harm the patient, although sometimes harm is the price of doing business. I found in my years of working in infection control and quality, the surgeons were often a bit more reticent at admitting they harmed a patient. In medicine, the damage we do is often more indirect. A late complication of medications is an example. Much of what surgeons do is hands-on, and the injury is much more direct. I wonder, in a digression, just how many in the scam community continue to practice despite a crisis of faith in their intervention. I can't find any data as it relates to chiropractors, although in all the scam professions, there must be some who are in too deep and can't leave after realizing their scam is a farce. I can find that 16% of pastors have doubts about the existence of God. Perhaps the same percent in scams? It is messy, of course. There are chiropractic bodies that subscribe to the idea that, quote, teaching a vertebral subluxation complex as a vitalistic construct that claims that it is the cause of disease is unsupported by evidence. Its inclusion in modern chiropractic curriculum in anything other than a historical context is therefore inappropriate and unnecessary. But if there is no subluxation, what is the whole point of chiropractic, much less manipulating the spine? Why be a chiropractor? Chiropractors, being very hands-on, seem particularly recalcitrant to the idea that they can harm others, especially causing strokes. In my prior tour of duty at Science-Based Medicine, I discussed the topic twice, that would be the quack cast chiropractic and stroke evaluation of one paper in 2008, and chiropractic and stroke, the question is not answered, in 2015. My conclusion was, yep, chiropractic neck manipulation rarely causes stroke by way of a vertebral artery dissection, VAD, and that the pathology and mechanisms resembled that of a hanging a description not well received by chiropractors. Eh, go figure. Some chiropractors do have a bit of self-awareness. 
40% of those not practicing chiropractic agree that, quote, being injured by a chiropractor or causing injury by chiropractic treatment can be a factor in leaving active practice. Along with a variety of other reasons to abandon the field, chiropractic seems like a profession, and there is no good antonym for a profession, which is a shame. I suppose you could call many scam providers a professional and their job a profession, but the terms somehow seem wrong. With many issues, but some at least recognize that harm is a potential byproduct of their interventions. I wondered, since my last review, was there anything new on the topic? What piqued my interest was a New York Times article, Is it safe to get your neck manipulated by a chiropractor? The subhead concludes, Most joint manipulations aren't dangerous, but one rare complication can result in serious injury. The New York Times, unfortunately, does not use references, but notes, quote, For example, a small study found that 15% of arterial dissections occurred after a sporting activity, and 11% followed a chiropractic manipulation. Several studies have shown the risk of arterial dissection and stroke to be 3 to 12 times higher in people who recently had a neck manipulation, according to a review by the American Heart Association Stroke Council. And quote, It is unclear how common the complication is following chiropractic care. One estimate says that an arterial dissection occurs in 1 out of 1,000 neck manipulations. Another says 1 in 5.8 million. Three of the four authors on that study worked for chiropractic associations. A review I found pegged it at, quote, It is estimated that 1 in 20,000 cervical spine manipulations cause a stroke. It is kind of scary how relatively minor trauma, such as coughing, sneezing, and vomiting, can precede a vertebral artery tear. I remember a case from early in my practice that occurred as a result of hyperextension during yoga. Of course, Professional chiropractors, and there are amateurs, will have none of it. Quote, a visit to a chiropractor is more often the result of an arterial dissection, not the cause of it. These patients have an artery that's already been injured in some way, causing neck pain and headaches, Dr. Reddy said. Some of them go to their primary care doctor. Some of them go to their chiropractor. If the patient has a stroke following the visit to a chiropractor, the chiropractor gets blamed. Same as it ever was. The New York Times articles on scam are often interesting with the classic journalistic propensity to give both sides of a discussion. As the fundamental construct of chiropractic, subluxation and their correction is a complete fantasy, unhinged from reality, I always find this entertaining. Scams are usually afforded a legitimacy other delusions, like stolen presidential elections or fake moon landings, are not. Those who recognize that chiropractic is a fiction are noted to be, quote, critics who claim the field lacks scientific validity, end quote. Well, duh. And claim? I also claim there's no scientific validity to the tooth fairy or Zeus. Just what is the bar one must reach for lacking scientific validity? All of medicine, of course, is risk-benefit. The risk associated with the intervention, fixing said subluxation, that has zero, nil, nada, zip, zilch probability of doing anything beneficial, should have zero complications. Relief of a self-limited process should have zero catastrophic complications. And small benefits should have small risks. 
The article, as is often the case with discussions of chiropractic, is not specific about the benefits of having one's neck manipulated to fix an imaginary subluxation or for pain versus the multimodal interventions for neck pain one might receive in addition to manipulation. You know, heat, massage, traction, ultrasound, etc. Since I last wrote on the topic, not much new has been published on it. Some case reports and series like, quote, of 141 patients with cervical artery dissection, 12 had documented chiropractic neck manipulation prior to the onset of symptoms that led to medical presentation. And another series where, quote, 34 out of 310 patients suffered chiropractic-associated injury. These patients tend to be younger, female, and have fewer comorbidities compared to patients with other causes of vertebral artery dissection. And those are numbers that should give one pause. There was the chiropractor, one of several case reports, who ever so proudly reported that he recognized the vertebral artery stroke before he could do manipulation. Oh, minimal competency in neurology. Impressive. And see, the stroke comes before the chiropractor. And he felt the need to publish that fact so that we can recognize the very basic neurologic conditions that are seen by a chiropractor. It's really, you know, kind of sad. The problem, of course, with rare events is determining causality. Although 12 of 141 and 34 of 310 ain't that rare, but the literature is murky at best, depending on what approach is taken to determine the incidence of post-chiropractic stroke. It is unlikely that chiropractors are going to apply the precautionary principle anytime soon. Quote, when an activity raises threats to harm to human health or the environment, precautionary measures should be taken even if some cause and effect relationships are not fully established scientifically. In this context, the proponent of an activity, rather than the public, should bear the burden of proof. A definitive proof will always be lacking. So how's about, for hoots and giggles, applying Hill's criteria to the topic? Hill's criteria have been applied to subluxations and, quote, there is a lack of evidence in the literature to fulfill Hill's criteria of causation as regards chiropractic subluxation. No supportive evidence is found for the chiropractic subluxation being associated with any disease process or of creating suboptimal health conditions requiring intervention. Regardless of popular appeal, this leaves the subluxation construct in the realm of unsupported speculation. This lack of supported evidence suggests that subluxation construct has no valid clinical applicability. But no one has applied Hills to chiropractic and stroke. Let's run through Hills list and see what we get. Strength. How strong is the association between cause and effect? I think that's a tough one, but I would rate it as reasonably strong when all the relatively minor causes of VAD are considered. I give it an 8 out of 10. Consistency. Consistent findings observed by different persons in different places with different samples strengthens the likelihood of an effect. I give this a 9 out of 10. All the negative studies are by chiropractors, so that would be a go to Midas, get a muffler situation. Specificity. Causation is likely if there is a very specific population at a specific site and disease with no other likely explanation. The more specific an association between a factor and the, and the effect is, the bigger the probability of a causal relationship. I give that a 10 out of 10. Temporality. The effect has to occur after the cause. Duh. 10 out of 10. Biologic gradient. 
dose-response relationship. Greater exposure should generally lead to greater incidence of effect. That's a tough one since VAD is so rare. I'd say maybe 6 out of 10. Plausibility. A plausible mechanism between cause and effect is helpful. I give that an 11 out of 10. Coherence. Coherence between epidemiological and laboratory findings increases the likelihood of an effect. However, Hill noted that, quote, lack of laboratory evidence cannot nullify the epidemiological effect on the associations. I think this is not applicable. I know of no lab data that would apply. Experiment. Occasionally, it is possible to appeal to experimental evidence. I don't know any lab data that would apply, and I don't know that they do cervical subluxation correction on rats. Analogy. The use of analogies or similarities between the observed association and any other associations. You mean like a hanging? I give that a 10 out of 10. Of course, Hill's criteria are not the nine commandments of determining causation, but a nice conceptual framework to apply when considering causation when definitive data is lacking. Might one conclude from Hill's criteria that chiropractic manipulation can lead to vertebral artery dissection and a stroke? You betcha by golly wow. Do professional chiropractors care? Eh, apparently not so much. There is no good, only the bad and the ugly. And that ends the QuackCast Revenant Edition number 223. The references are available over at Science-Based Medicine from the blog entry of the same name from May 16th, 2023. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye.